Here at Lighthouse Church Weekly Sermon Podcast, Carolyn Thomas helps you in your character development by encouraging you to not despise your training. A very simple message, but one we can very, very easily overlook. It is far too easy to grow weary and resentful of the circumstances we find ourselves in and completely miss what God is trying to train into our characters. Carolyn offers encouragement, advice, and just deep discussion on this vital subject. I'm sure you're going to love it. As always, check out www.life-house.net for more Lifehouse resources. Without further ado, here's Carolyn. Uh, Well, that was, you know, last week I was talking to you about the flurry of things that happened before the service. Poor Dom had to get woken up this morning. He wasn't on duty, but we had to phone him to get him out of bed early to come and help with the sound because the other half of the boys and the team are hopefully not hanging over the cliff at Mount Barney, but something close to that. They're forming something for their special ops. So I don't even want to know about it. I just want to know when Callan gets home, he's home. I'm trying hard not to think about it. But I just want to spend a few moments just recapping a little bit from my sermon last week just to um, just remind you and for those people who weren't here just to fill you in a little bit. Um, I mentioned that Christians sometimes emphasize gifts and power above character development, and I illustrated that by using two bags, and Sam pointed out to me afterwards that for the people listening to the podcast, they wouldn't have been able to see the illustration. So what I had did, um, done sorry, was I had one bag that was really heavy and one bag that was really, really light, and I just showed that if you've got this heavy bag on one side, which could be your gifting, For me, I said mine was really heavy because I was so gifted. Um, And then, oh yeah, okay. So I am, yeah, I am just joking, but sort of. Um, So I had this heavy bag and how if your character bag on the other side is a lot lighter and not balancing how you'd be staggering around lopsided and your life is going to be out of balance. And I just mentioned that um, God wants to bring us back to that balance between character and gifting. And I had three points last week. My first point was, what is character? And I said that character is the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And it's displayed in your responses and your actions when you come under pressure. That's when you see it for what it really is. And unfortunately, character won't be developed without pressure. And character is not just what other people see. It's often more than what, they, what people don't see. And Joyce Meyer put it like this, that what you do in front of people is nothing if you're not living the same life at home behind closed doors. So that was just a a recap of what character is. And my second point was to look at why we needed character. And I explained that sometimes when you're exercising your ministry gift, that can lead you into conflict. And it's your character, not your gift, that enables you to hold the ground in those situations. To be able to see the big picture and to maintain God's standard and conduct yourself in such a way knowing that you will answer to him. And I said that you can train a soldier how to use his weapon, but it's not the weapon, it's not the gift that makes him hold the line when he's on the front line, it's what's inside of him, and that's your character. And character development positions you strategically to be in the perfect position for the eventual actualization of your ministry and Also that God wants to use us far beyond what we could ever imagine. And I use the life of Joseph as an illustration of that from prison to the palace. 
My third point last week was that there are no shortcuts. Unfortunately, it just takes as long as it takes. And we need to be careful that we're not despising the journey whilst we're on it. And unfortunately, we can actually lengthen that character development time by not cooperating or responding incorrectly, but we can't shorten it. And every one of us needs to be put into a season of training. And heat and pressure will come, and that is necessary because that's what shapes and molds you. But then I also left you with the encouraging statement that things are not always what they seem. And we need to remember that God's ways are higher. They're far superior to our ways and to what we could imagine. And so you have to just keep that in your mind and know that he actually does know better than you. And although it might look like you're going in the opposite way, he knows exactly what he's doing. All right, so with that hopefully refreshed in your mind, I'm going to go on to what I want to speak to today. And I just want to give you one important piece of advice. Now, before you all think, that's good, one point from Carolyn. I mean, that's a miracle, right? It's a long point, okay? But this piece of advice I want to give you is to help you to walk through that season of training, through those times of character development. And the advice is this, do not despise your training. Discern your training and do not despise it. What do I mean by not despising your training? Simply put, you'll be despising your training if you are so concerned that God remove you from your circumstance or from that difficult place that you actually miss what he's trying to teach you. You miss the lessons or the outworking of his plans in your life. Often because it might be a difficult situation or intense, we try to get out of it. And if we don't discern God's training, we might, it just means we don't recognize it as training. And we need to realize, and I touched on this last week, that even if it's a situation that God himself has not actually put you into, and he does do that, he does put you into situations, but if it's a situation he hasn't put you into, we still need to remember that in his wisdom, he's still, for whatever reason, permitting that situation. And bad things do happen, but we've got to view every situation as training. Every situation is an opportunity for working on some aspect of our character, some aspect of our fruit, and see it for what it is, good and bad. See it as an opportunity for growth. How often have we maybe not discerned things and thereby delayed our training? So remember that in your dealings with God, things are not always what they might seem. Your difficult place or circumstance is no surprise to God. He already knows about it. Nothing blindsides him. Okay, nothing takes him by surprise. It might take us by surprise, but he already knew about it before it happened. And so he factors that into the outworking of his plan for your life. Now, I want to speak to you about two possible responses that we can have when we are not recognizing that we're in training or where we're despising the training, okay? And remember when I talked to you about these points that God loves you beyond what you could ever, ever imagine. And he's only got a good plan for you no matter what that might look like because it's not always apparent at the beginning. And, you know, sometimes we think we're ready and we think we don't need training. The gift, after all, is fully developed, and it is developed, but the development is not about the gift. It's about you. When I talk about being trained to handle the gift, I'm not talking about the gift at all. I'm talking about the development of you, about training, strengthening, and fortifying you so that you can stand. I'm talking about where the self gets taken out of us for our own good and for our own growth. 
I'm talking about where God, we allow God to refine us so that we become better people. We become more and more like Jesus. And if you've got any doubts about what I'm saying, in other words, in terms of your readiness, if you think, no, I'm pretty good. I've gone through a lot of character development. I think I'm ready. And I did explain you'll still get to do ministry during that time, but if you think you don't need any more training, just think about your closest relationships. Think about how you react when you don't get your own way. Think about when your response is when you feel stressed and squeezed by those closest to you, and they're really good at doing that, aren't they? People around about you. And then ask yourself, what will you do if you get these responses, and even worse, from total strangers, where all you're doing is in there to help them and to minister to them? Are you ready? Are you mature enough to handle those responses from them without lashing back at them? Are you mature enough to still love them? to take their responses, to not get offended, and to even keep going back for more if that's what God calls you to. So I think if you're really honest and you think about that, I think you'll agree with me that we're all up for a lot more training. Okay, so it's nothing to do with the gifts. It's about your attitudes and your behaviors. And in the same way as we train our children, just as we don't indulge their selfish natures and allow them to have whatever they want, God does exactly the same with us. So just like children need to be um, correctly trained and they have to actually be taught how to respond when you say no and when you actually mean it. Right? We see, I see a lot of this at school where for, for some of them the first time they actually hear no and there's a follow through at school and they don't like it one little bit. All right? And so we have a lot of problems. And you know that's the same with us because we're born inherently selfish and so we've got to be trained and get that out of us. Now, two possible responses to not recognizing or not submitting yourself to training will be that one, either you're going to give up, okay, or you'll dismiss the training because you don't recognize it and so you miss out on what God has got planned for you. Or the second response might be that you begin to chase after the prophetic word or whatever it is to try and work it out yourself and make it happen. Of course, there's a third response, which is where you do recognize it and you submit to it, and then God will promote you in his time. But let's go back to those two possible uh, negative responses. First, not recognize the training, and so you don't go through it. You give up too soon. Um, if we look at the story in the Bible of the young rich man who came to Jesus, I just want to look at that as an example of a choice or a struggle that you could face when you've been led into a training situation. Listen to Matthew 19. Just then a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which one? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot take your stuff with you from one kingdom and use it in another. That was his test. 
You've got to leave behind your old ways, your old behavior patterns. What is your test? Might be the same as him, as his was. It might be totally different. But as difficult as it was for him, so it will probably be for you too. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. So he wasn't prepared to give that up and go and follow Jesus. How many of these seemingly small moments do you think that we miss? You might not even be conscious that you're doing it, but you find the pressure of the situation too intense, and so you remove yourself from a tough situation. How many stories of that young rich man are there out there right now? Now, I want to make it very clear that I'm not talking here about removing yourself from a sinful or in any way abusive situation or removing yourself from people who want to corrupt your character and who you are. You do need to remove yourself from those situations. I'm not talking about that, okay? But now, if you are in a situation that God is going to use to train you, and if you don't see it through, the problem with not recognizing God's hand in your life is that, unfortunately, at some stage, you're going to have to go through the same lesson again. Can any of you attest to that? There's one through, yep, around that mountain again. Now, the saddest words and stories that we hear are those about rebellion. And if you remember the children of Israel where the God gave them the promise. He told them, this is the land I've promised you. And the 12 spies got sent in, and then they came back, and 10 of them were giving the negative report, and only two were positive. And that was after God had actually told them and promised them, this is what I'm giving you. The children of Israel still chose to believe the spies over and above God's promise to them. And Deuteronomy said, the idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it. Taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Now listen to the rebellion that comes in against God. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Doesn't that sound a bit childish? The Lord hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt. But let's put it how it might sound in our language. Oh, God's punished me. Why is this happening to me? Why is God punishing me? All right? They grumbled after they had God's promise, after they'd seen all the miracles he'd done when he brought them out of Egypt. Oh, God hates us. That's why he took us out of Egypt. We do exactly the same, or maybe just me, but I'm sure there's others. Am I right? Okay, good. At least you're honest. All right, why is this happening to me? Why is God punishing me? And then if you're like me, you would spiral, or the old me, you would spiral into self-pity, extreme introspection and self-examination, striving then to work it out and to get God to change things. Now, that might sound a bit harsh. You might think, oh, how can you say that? I can say it because I've done it myself. And over 25 years of ministry, I've seen it a lot in other people as well. We have, if we're honest, that is what we do. But we don't label it ourselves as the Bible does. We wouldn't call it rebellion and grumbling and murmuring against God. But you know, if we're honest, that's what it is. And I can recall being like that. Poor me, I don't want to be like this. I can't help it. I examine myself endlessly and I search my heart. All I'm stopped short of doing is whipping my own back. But you know what? I do that mentally anyway. 
But you know, I search my heart, and so doesn't that mean I've got good motives in my heart? Doesn't it show a contrite, humble heart? After all, it was my upbringing. I can't help it. Do you think I want to be like this? Do you think I enjoy having all these thoughts in my head? My head's spinning all the time with all these thoughts. I I don't, but I can't help it. I used to murmur those things to myself and sometimes voice them aloud too. But during one of those sessions many, many years ago, David shocked me because he said, you are choosing to be like that and you can help it. And naturally, I was shocked, okay? I was insulted. I was deeply hurt. How could he be so callous? He just doesn't understand. How dare he say I'm choosing to be like this? But you know what? He was exactly right. And that conversation was a turning point in my life. You see, those viewpoints that I was holding on to, you just don't understand. You haven't had the same upbringing. You've had a different upbringing from me. I didn't choose to be like this. I'm trying, but I can't help it. Those thoughts, those viewpoints I was using to justify myself are directly contrary to what the Bible tells us. And you know what? Whether we like it or not, whether we accept it or not, if we are saying, but you just don't understand, in the face of Scripture which says something different, then we are in rebellion to God's Word and ultimately then to God Himself. That might sound harsh, but that's exactly what it is. And I really need to be blunt about that because that realization changed my life. And I can't stress enough and I can't stress often enough that if your viewpoint on anything, I don't care what it is, if your viewpoint on anything is contrary to or causes you to compromise in Scripture, then you are wrong. There's no but. And so it's really crucial that we study the word regularly so that we know what it says because ignorance is no excuse. Okay, you might be holding on to certain viewpoints. Granted, you might not necessarily realize that they're opposite to the word. And so without realizing or knowing, you might actually be in a position of resisting the Lord. You might have put yourself in a position where you are resisting the Holy Spirit when he tries to bring conviction because you're not recognizing it as such because your viewpoints are different. What you perceive and what you believe are different, and so you dismiss it without even realizing that your viewpoint might be wrong. Now, you're not going to know, okay? Often the lie is so close to the truth. If you are not in the word for yourself, if you're just relying on listening to a message on a Sunday, you will not necessarily know that you are believing the lie. It can be that close to the truth, and you have got a personal responsibility to get into the word. All right, we have to do that. Otherwise, you might find yourself resisting God and you don't know it. Okay, and it doesn't, it's not going to wash. Well, God, I didn't know. Because the command is there, even now, me telling you, you have to get into the word you are now without excuse. All right. You might be dismissing areas of training that the Holy Spirit wants to take you into. I can't help it. Yes, I could. I'm not choosing to be like this. Yes, I was by being undisciplined in my mind, by not taking my thoughts captive, and by being lazy about getting into the Word. And I've said before that, you know, I could see over my 25 years of being a Christian that my growth has been directly proportional to the amount of time I've spent in the Word. Now, when I talk about reading the Word, I'm not just talking about just reading it and doing nothing with it, okay? You need to study it. You need to really sink your teeth into it. You need to meditate on it. And most important, you need to apply it to your life. 
Satan knows more scripture than you do. And do you think that's helping him, changing his life? No. Okay, he chose, so he's an enemy of God. But what I'm saying is it's not enough to just read it and then walk away and do nothing with it. You've got to apply it to your life. In James 1, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The message puts it like this. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. If you don't apply it, and applying it means actually change what you're doing, change your behaviors, change your attitudes to line them up with the word, no matter how uncomfortable it makes you and how difficult it might seem, then it's not going to help you. When you don't apply it, you deceive yourself. And those aren't my words. Again, James, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. And we know that scripture about be renewed or be transformed, uh, sorry, be transformed through the renewing of your mind. And so the Bible's very clear that the way that you get changed or transformed is by renewing your mind. And that simply means changing your thinking. And the only way that that's ever going to happen is if you learn what truth is and then you replace your incorrect beliefs with that truth, then your mind will get renewed and you will see a change in your life start to take place. You know, I've actually had someone tell me in not so many words that they've tried this and it didn't work. I could get on a soapbox about these things, but I'm trying to be calm. <laughs> but my response then is you haven't tried it hard enough and you've not been consistent enough. Basically, you've read the word, but you've not done the hard yards to apply it. And I'm not saying it's always easy. Renewing your mind is the hardest thing, all right? Who knows about that? How hard it is. The battlefield is in the mind. That's where you get attacked all the time, and it's hard. You have to work on it all the time. It's not a case of my mind is renewed today, and that's me happy for the rest of my life. It's constant bombardment. So I'm not saying it's easy, but you still have to do it. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, God showed me that the thoughts and viewpoints that I was holding on to in certain areas were contrary to what he says in his word. And so, according to that scripture, then my own thoughts were, in fact, arguments and, pretentious, and pretensions which were setting themselves up against the knowledge of God. Once I realized that, I tell you, that shocked me to think, you know, that my thoughts were in rebellion to God and in those areas I was actually resisting him. And Joyce Meyer puts it like that. You know, it would never be a complete Carolyn ser sermon if we didn't have Joyce Meyer, right? Now, this might sound simple, but it's a clear instruction and it's what we see mirrored in the word. If you don't get your mind straightened out, you'll never get your life straightened out. You have to think about what you're thinking about. And that is so true, isn't it? It's simple, but it's so profound. And as I said, it shocked me to realize that my thoughts were in rebellion to God in those areas I was actually resisting him. And look, I know that we don't ever intentionally set out to resist God, okay? We don't intentionally set out to resist the Holy Spirit. But the reality is that sometimes we do things our way and we want things to pan out or work out the way that we think they should. And we don't even realize maybe that we're resisting the Holy Spirit and we're dismissing God's plan for us. I mean, look at the, look at the story of Joseph last week and think of Job as well. 
Right? Who would ever have said, if you didn't know the end of those stories, who of you would ever have said that those experiences that they went through were in any way, shape, or form anything to do with God? You wouldn't, would you? All right? And it's the same. You know, we know that God only has good for us. We live in a fallen world and bad things happen. Okay? But sometimes, you know, God may be taking you into that or he's using that to teach you something, okay? So we've just got to remember that things are not always what they seem. And I think a good rule for yourself here so that you don't unwittingly find yourself dismissing training would be to remember that God will use every single situation as an opportunity to refine you and conform you more and more into the image of Christ. If you respond correctly to him, it doesn't matter what it is, he will use that for your good. And that's called the discipleship process. It's called becoming like Jesus. Now remember Joseph's attitude when he was sold as a slave and when he was in prison as well, his attitude, attitude of excellence in both situations and God's favor was on him. God prospered him in the circumstance, not when he was out of it, okay? Sometimes we might remove ourselves from training and think, I'm just going to sit here and wait till uh, maybe 10 years till the church grows and they can afford to take me on staff or something. We often joke about this, but do you think you're going to be chosen? No. We want to see, and the same for us, God's looking for excellence in the circumstance, no no matter what it is, and then God will promote you in his time. Right, and listen to what Joseph said to his brothers when he revealed himself to them and told them who he was, and they were fearful because naturally they thought he's going to take revenge. Listen to what he said to them. And he's saying this to them about them having sold him into slavery. He says, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Whoa. Listen to that statement again from Joseph to his brothers and think about it in light of your own circumstance and your life. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. All right, to have that mindset, to be able to have that mindset, especially when you don't understand, especially when you can't see what possible lesson that you're learning, you need to hold on to scripture, you need to hold on to promises, like this promise in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, which we all know really well. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And I love how the message puts it. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out, plans to take care of you, not abandon you, plans to give you the future you hope for. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. So I have to say that either we believe everything, okay, Every single situation, no matter how bad it looks or what it is, either we believe it's in God's hands or we don't. It's as simple as that, even if we don't want to admit it. And and that, what I read from the message, that was God talking. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Remember what I said earlier, God has factored it into the outworking of his plan for your life. Even those bad, unjust, desperate, difficult situations And if you trust him, he will turn it to good. Romans 8, 28, another, I'm sure, very well-loved passage of scripture. And we know that in all things, not just some things, not just the good things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The message puts it like this. That's why we can be so sure that 
every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. So no matter what you're facing, there is no but. That doesn't mean it won't be difficult, it won't be heart-wrenching, that you might feel absolute despair at times, but either you believe he's got it in his hands or you don't. And it's that knowledge, that trust, believing and knowing he has got it all in his hands that enables you to keep getting up in the morning, to keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep on with your training in spite of the circumstance. And, you know, I want to encourage you with this thought. You walking through it, it will end, okay? It will not continue indefinitely no matter what it feels like now. Walking through actually means walking out, okay? Some of the walks are longer than others, but as you keep walking, you are on your way out of it. So just hold on to that as an encouragement as well. Will you listen to what God says in his word? Listen to Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will direct your paths. The message says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. So will you listen to what God says in his word there? And most importantly, will you apply it? Or will you go it alone because he's not giving you the answers that you want? He's not doing it the way you imagined it would be. Or are you going to reach out and trust him and let him help you through your circumstance, whatever it is at this time or in the future? So my first point was be careful of failing to recognize the training and therefore giving up or not actually going through it. My second point is that you might begin, because you get impatient and you don't see things happening, and think of Joseph, it looked like he was going in the total opposite direction. The danger there is we might begin to chase after things ourselves. We might try to make it happen. You might have a prophetic word, and you try to work it out and make it happen and make it come to pass. Um, So I want to look at that. I spoke to you last week about you need to have that character, okay, to handle correctly and responsibly the use of your gifts. And the gifts are powerful weapons. We spoke just, I just touched on the, you know, your speaking gifts, your word of knowledge, okay? Um, Speaking into a person's life, that lives can be changed instantly, okay? And the time it takes to speak out that word of knowledge. God's word cuts deep into lives and divides bone from marrow, or marrow from bone. So you have got to be trained adequately and you've got to be matured to be able to handle that, that you're not going to shipwreck yourself and somebody else. And so I mentioned earlier, there are no shortcuts. It takes as long as it takes. And you might think you're ready, but at the end of the day, God is the one who decides because he knows best. And unfortunately, character development usually takes far longer than we would ever anticipate. And look at the biblical examples. Look at Moses, as I said to you, 80 years, okay? I just thought 40 years was bad enough until David pointed out that he had 40 years before that, growing up in Pharaoh's household. Think of Joshua, okay? He was all that time as well, the 40 years wandering in the desert. Jesus, all right? You see Jesus briefly at 12 years old on that particular day when he's in the temple speaking. Then you don't hear about him again until he was 30, okay? And that's still relatively young, but I'm figuring because he only had another three more years, he, you know, he got to get in younger there. But he still needed to be matured as well and go through that process. So why on earth would we expect to be any different? And sometimes we do, okay, because we get impatient. 
And, you know, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about, look at, um, you know, a lot of the, the world-renowned preachers that are out there. Do you notice they're all like 40, 50, 60? All right, they might be the odd 20 or 30-year-old, but you don't really generally see that as a rule. And I was thinking about it. It's not that they just suddenly got saved when they were 49, and so here they are now, and they've just popped out of the woodwork, and that's why we hadn't seen them or heard of them before. I'm not standing here preaching because God just recently given me revelation. He's been training me and putting this into me and training me, more importantly, in his word and applying it to my life for 25 years and longer because my upbringing as well would have factored into that as well. You need to work all that into the fabric of my life. So it's not that I just recently got it and decided to be obedient and here I am up here standing speaking, all right? And it's the same with those preachers. They've been around. They've been around for 20, 30, 40 years or more, just as David and I have. Their own local churches have been aware of them. So it's not that they've just suddenly popped up. But God didn't give them a large international platform where they'd be speaking to millions of people until he was satisfied that they developed sufficient character that they were sufficiently in the word themselves and applying it into the very fabric, into the day-to-day of their lives, so that then he could trust them to actually go and speak to millions of people. All right, you might not have, none of us, yeah, we hopefully, no, well, you know, when I say hopefully, it's not for the sake of having it, but for souls, but not everybody has a big international ministry. It doesn't matter. If you're still ministering to one or two or three people, they are precious, okay, in God's eyes, as you are, And you have got to be trusted to handle that. It's a sacred trust to be able to speak into people's lives and handle that correctly. But, you know, we live in such an instant society that we want things now and we want them our way. And I think there's a song, isn't there, a song about that? I want it now, okay? And you want it your way. And if we take that mentality and transfer it into the spiritual, then you know what happens? You get increasingly frustrated, You get frustrated at the length of time that this refining and character development is taking. And I've said this myself, and I've heard others say, hasn't God worked enough on my character? Do I have to now go through more? I always talk about the tumble dryer. I always say, I'm in the tumble dryer again. I feel like I've just learned this and come out, and I'm pumped and ready to go back into the tumble dryer again. But, you know, I've learned that if I'm thinking and saying, oh, do I have to go through more? Hasn't he worked enough on my character? Just the fact I'm saying that, then I've learned that, well, actually, yes, I've got heaps more developing that needs to take place. And, um, you know, our development and our our knowledge and experience has been hard and painfully earned by having to deal firsthand with situations. See what happened? I changed my notes. I scribbled some out, and I've got the pages in the wrong place. Right, but... You won't ever be fully developed this side of heaven in your character. It's a continual process, so you may as well get used to it. And Joyce Meyer puts it like this, get a new mindset. Plan to wait. Expect your vision to take longer and cost more than you ever thought it would in the beginning. Just get it into your head that no matter how long it takes or how hard it gets, you're going to keep going. And as I said a minute ago, we want things to happen quickly, and so when they don't, we get frustrated. But the problem is God's got a specific way of operating. As I said to you before, he gives you an exciting glimpse of your ministry, of the potential of your calling, and then he takes you into the training desert. 
And we saw in Joseph that the training looked like he was going in the total opposite direction. All right, and that's what it might look like or feel like for you. But remember, his training ground was to position him to rule over the world's mightiest empire. And the training ground for that was what? As a slave in a prison. And all he did, he had done nothing except accept, confess, and believe the prophetic dreams that God had given him. So when you get excited about that word and about that call and you accept it, you're putting up your hand and you're saying, yes, God, use me. If he then chooses a prison as your training ground, who are you to complain and tell him it's not the way you think or imagined you ought to be trained? Remember, large portions of the New Testament were written from prison. If you choose to say, yes, Lord, send me, how many of you have done that? Come on, you're too scared to admit it now, right? But how many of us in worship as well, send me? Are you prepared to count the cost and submit to be trained his way, even if you don't like it? I mentioned last week about David and I being trained in spiritual warfare. And there's only one way that can happen, right? And believe me, it was not, and it's still not enjoyable at all. That knowledge and experience has been hard and painfully earned by having to deal firsthand with those situations. I wouldn't say I consider myself an expert on certain things, but I think we've had a fair deal of working with, not with, I should say against, but dealing with the religious spirit in particular. Do you think that was enjoyable? Do you think it's enjoyable? Yeah, it's great. I can feel pumped that, you know, I've got this experience. I can say to you, right, we are going to do this and this today. We're instituting that, and this and this is going to be the reaction. And it happens. So that's nice that, you know, I know we have the teaching. David can teach on it as well. But, you know, it's just, um, I've totally forgot what I was going to say there, but anyway. But it's good that we have that, but it's hard to go through it, okay? So it might not be enjoyable, but you've got to go through it. And if you don't allow God, if we hadn't allowed God to work on our character, if we didn't have the word in us, because often it's just that, clinging on, it feels like by your fingertips, to the promises and the word. If we didn't have that in us, we would not have been able to stand. And believe me, in certain situations, it takes every ounce of your character and your energy to stand and not to flee. And without a godly character, you won't stand. So character development is going to take as long as it needs to, and you trying to hurry it up is just going to end up in you frustrating yourself, and often it's frustrating for the people around you have to watch it as well. And I've seen people try to cut short their training, and they just end up hurting themselves and shipwrecking themselves. You need to burn into your brain what I'm going to say now. God is the one who promotes. Do not try to promote yourself, even if you're in your own eyes, you think you're ready. Remember, God is the one who places his leaders, so you need to maintain a correct and humble attitude as Joseph did, even when you believe you should be in a position different to the one you are. Uh, A few of us went and listened to Donna Crutch probably a few years ago now, but she's one of the pastors of Hillsong, and she was giving her, you know, giving a bit of a story. And she's in the top leadership now, but she was talking about where she still had the job to go around the auditorium after the service and pick up lolly wrappers off the floor for a good few years after she felt she was ready and had arrived. And that's what we have to look at. What is your attitude in those situations? What is your attitude to your leadership in those situations, to God? All right? 
Remember what I've told you, the gifts are not any way down to you who you are, they are gifts. So no matter how wonderful and talented and gifted we might think we are, and that's good, it's good to have a good self-healthy image, but God is most interested in your character, specifically in your heart attitude. And it's those situations that that's where it actually comes out and that's where it gets seen. So we need to be really careful and I'm probably just, no, I don't want to say I'm saying it for the podcast audience because that's insulting, but I don't think I'm saying it for anyone here, but we need to really just always be continually aware that we don't develop discontent. We don't develop grumbling and murmuring within ourselves because we're not being used where we think we should be and how we think we should be. Now, um, I was talking to David about this a few weeks ago on the drive back from the beach. We talk about you guys all the time, just like the spiritual mum and dad that we are. There, I admitted it, okay, publicly. But we do take the whole weight and responsibility of having you guys very, very seriously. And we're talking about how, as parents, we've got the viewpoint of wanting our kids to go further, to be bigger and better, if you like, than us. And that ties in with our whole belief that we're here to impart legacy. And it's not a situation of, oh, well, we've had our years in the church, we've done our bit, what is the church going to offer us now? It's about what we can offer And we believe that we are a platform, we are a springboard um, for you because you're going to be the generation, you know, well, you are the generation now, and you will do the same for the generation that follows you. And we spoke about how our ceiling, the hearts we reach, is going to be your floor. And um, I mentioned to David that I've often said, especially, you know, to the girls, that you can learn from our experience and maybe not take as many years in similar situations. But sometimes I worry that that can be misconstrued and you think I'm actually saying you don't have to undergo training as we did in certain situations. But what I'm actually meaning when I say that is that I can say to you metaphorically, I've been where you are. I've climbed this mountain a few times. I can show you where to put your hands and feet to make it easier. I can show you where the dangerous and slippery parts are. But it doesn't release you from having to still go through the strain and exertion of climbing that mountain yourself. You can learn from my experience, but you learn from my experience in such a way as to help you safely and successfully navigate the pitfalls and hopefully maybe climb it a few less times than what I did. All right? But it never ever means that you do not have to earn your own stripes of experience. And I mention this because sometimes we're inclined to think that we know more. And we might be a bit dismissive, especially when we feel we're not being placed where we think we should be or recognized, maybe. And I, I want to tell you that it, is pretty, it can be pretty heady to be allowed the scope of exercising your gift and gifting that you do get allowed here at LifeHouse. And, you know, we joked about how sometimes a growl or a smack needs to be administered, just like a parent would do with a child. And, you know, this might fall flat now, hopefully not, because you have to be there. But just how we're talking about that ceiling our ceiling being your floor. You know, David said, yes, sometimes he's just got to growl a little bit and um, you know, if attitudes pop up and things like, told you to stand on my damn shoulders, not on my face, okay? <laughs> and sometimes we've just got to bring the cubs a little bit back, back in there, a little swat. But my point is that we love watching you spread your wings and fly, but don't be too impatient. Enjoy yourself while God's developing you. Don't try to chase after making your gift work. Maintain a humble, submissive attitude, and God will promote you. He will, as his word says, lift you up in due season if you faint not. So don't be so impatient that you get frustrated. 
And again, Joyce has got something to say on this. She says, a lot of us try to make things happen quickly. We look for the fastest, easiest way to get things done because we just don't want to wait on God. Now, this sentence is very crucial. One of the surest ways to know if you're operating in the flesh is if you're frustrated all the time. That's really important. I want to say that again. One of the surest ways to know if you're operating in the flesh is if you're frustrated all the time. Now, I've had to mature and develop to be in a position to carry the outworking of my um, ministry. And just to illustrate using one point, we, last, last week I shared with you um, just one small section in each of our lives from those um, major prophetic words that we had. And just to look at one of that, okay, mine I shared with you last week was about that I have enemies. And I want to say that this time, it takes the time it takes. It took a good few years for me to make enemies because I'm such a likable person, so you have to give it time, okay? But even more importantly than that, it's taken maturity and fruit to stand my ground when lies and accusation have come because that's what has to come if you're going to make enemies, right? And, you know, that prophecy, I didn't read this to you last week, but it goes on to say about how some of those enemies are going to actually come back and repent and fall at my feet, okay? Now, a few years ago, I would have been grasping onto that, oh, yeah, come and grovel, you know, and enjoyed that picture. And that would have just been me talking out of hurt, okay? But now, I brush over that part about them coming and falling at my feet and repenting. Number one, because it makes me feel embarrassed. It actually sounds so pretentious to think, oh, people are going to come and fall at my feet. I know, I realize it's probably figuratively, but still, so I brush over that. And I am now more excited at the fact that it says that they're going to repent and come back because I can see the bigger picture for them. Okay, and so that came with maturity. That wouldn't have been there, um, you know, 10 years ago even, that you know, I would have just been holding on to that, yes, Lord, you're going to, you know bring them back and they're going to be there. Now it's like, thank you, God, that they are actually, because it grieves me more than anything of the state that they've gone to, okay? And so I'm really happy about that. So that comes with maturity. Um, Another part of that prophecy as well, and on that we had three different prophets and they all said the same thing was that I was going to be released from my job within a year or even shorter. Now I can remember 23 years ago at the time, that actually distressed me. Because I enjoyed teaching, I didn't want to leave teaching, all right? So it's just, it wasn't for then, it's for now, so I can't run and make that happen now. You can. Make sure you tie them properly, that word will come to pass sooner. But, but if I had gone and resigned my job when I got that word 23 years ago, it would have been disastrous for us, and I would have cut out a lot of my training that I've had to have. And there are other parts of the word that still have to come to pass, and there's certain parts I'm definitely not going to try and work out for myself. One of them that had always actually made me almost dismiss the word was that we're going to have another child. Uh, we don't want to work that one out now, right? <laughs> so no more sex ever now, right? But, but fortunately, part of my training and maturing is also learning how the prophetic works and that not everything that comes like that is literally that. Account. I now know that prophetic child that talks about is an area of ministry that God is birthing. But I didn't know that 23 years ago, okay? So you can see that things are not always what they seem, and God works on your character, works on your maturity, and then he will promote you in his time. And so you need to 
to remember that when you try and figure things out for yourself, why is this happening, and carry on and looking for answers, and we do, but if you go excessively into that, then you begin to start exalting your own reasoning above God's thoughts and plans for your life. And we need to be really careful that we don't fail to recognize his training, that we don't fail to submit to it and wait for him to promote us. Remember it says in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until the day of completion in Christ Jesus. Oh, carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So stop striving, stop resisting, rest in him, let him complete his work in you. Because you know what? His version of you is always going to be so much better than your version. 